Hi, that giant hippopotamus lady you just saw is an Egyptian goddess called Tawaret. And while some of you may know her from Marvel's Moon Knight, I'm here to tell you that she's nowhere near as adorable in myth. In fact, she's pretty terrifying. The good news is she was on our side. Well, maybe not my side because I'm not a woman or a child, even though I feel like one sometimes. I mean, I feel like a child, not a woman. Can we just start over? The good news is she was on our side. Tawarit was the goddess of childbirth and fertility, and just like the hippos that inhabit the Nile River, she was known as a fierce defender of her domain and those who occupy it. Sounds a bit different than her role in Moon Knight, where she fills in for Anubis, the jackal-headed god who weighs the hearts of the deceased, but as you're about to learn, this is more accurate than you might expect. First though, we gotta start with the basics. Tawarit was also known by the epithets Lady of Heaven, Mistress of the Horizon, and Lady of the Birth House. Another epithet was She of the Pure Water, which experts believe is a reference to her association with the Nile River. And curiously, she was also known by the near opposite epithet, She Who Removes the Water, which may allude to water breaking at the start of the birthing process. Unlike many other Egyptian goddesses, Tawarit is not what you would call thin, feminine, attractive, or appealing to look at in any way. She's almost exclusively depicted as a hippo standing on her hind legs with a big old belly and saggy boobs that sway to and fro. Sometimes her head is replaced with the head of a woman, but I think even the ancient Egyptians found that a little disturbing, so those depictions are few and far between. Besides, being a hippo was a core component of her identity. You see, hippos had been inhabiting the Nile River long before the Egyptian kingdom was unified around 3100 BCE and by that time, they had a well-established reputation among the societies surrounding the river. People saw the aggressive male hippos as a representation of chaos because of their dangerous and destructive tendencies, while female hippos embodied the same chaos with a more protective twist. Mama hippos were known for fiercely defending their babies, a quality that many animals have, but the sheer power of hippopotamuses and the fact that they could flawless victory just about any other predator in a 1v1 match on run is what made them the ideal embodiment of motherhood for the Egyptians. Giving birth was a dangerous and deadly undertaking for both the woman and the child, so they needed a powerful guardian to support them through that process. As a matter of fact, to where it was only one of several hippo goddesses that the Egyptians believed could aid them. The others were named Ipit, Ririt and Hedget, and while I'm definitely mispronouncing those, the point is they were indistinguishable from Tawarit in artistic depictions. Though some experts believe that, because of the specific meanings of their names, these other goddesses may just be aspects of Tawarit. Ipit means to nurse, which is an obvious reference to child rearing, and Ririt means the sow, and derives from the Egyptians' classification of hippos as water pigs adorable. The flaw in this theory is that Hedget's name translates to the white one, and it's not obvious what aspect of hippos or childbirth that embodies, but if you have any guesses, comment them below. Now, one thing that surprised me about Tawarit is that despite her being an important and revered goddess, archaeologists haven't uncovered any temples or written references to temples dedicated to her. Instead, it appears that worship of her primarily took place in the home, which I believe stems from the very personal 
personal nature of the help that to wear it provided. After all, in those days, most women were giving birth in their homes, and so a strong connection to to wear it needed to be established in that space. In addition to placing statuettes and wearing amulets of the goddess, her image appears on everyday household items, like beds, stools, and headrests, along with ivory wands that were used during childbirth. And while she may not have had whole temples erected in her honor, there was one temple dedicated to Ipit, one of the other hippo goddesses, and it was believed that the sun god was reborn in this temple on a daily basis. To where it was also present in the temples of many other gods in the form of epitropaic paintings and carvings. All of these Tewerit totems were believed to ward off evil, similar to how gargoyle imagery protected the Christian churches, and once again, this is likely because of the hippo's reputation for ferocity. But as I alluded to at the start of this episode, Tewerit's domain wasn't limited to ushering in new life. She also aided the deceased on their way out just like we saw her do in Moon Knight. Before we dive into her deathly duties though, I wanna say thanks to our friends at Squarespace. Similar to how Tawaret empowered and protected women and children, Squarespace empowers people from all walks of life, giving us the tools we need to build beautiful websites with ease, efficiency, and without breaking the bank. From their nearly endless library of award-winning design templates to their intuitive interface that lets you drag and drop boxes as needed, if you're looking to advertise and grow your business, Squarespace has all the answers. Want to start a gallery of your artwork, sell your own merchandise, or start a newsletter to keep your community informed? You can do all of that and more. And because Squarespace knows how important a website is for the success of any business, they give creators access to marketing tools and analytics so we can make sure our website is running efficiently, and access to personalized customer support 24-7 if you run into any trouble. So if you want to take one major step closer to making your dream a reality, go to squarespace.com slash John Solo to start your completely free trial. And when your site is ready for launch, use code John Solo to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So to give you a little recap on to where it's role in Moon Knight, and be warned, this is going to be full of spoilers. She acts as a guide to deceased souls, helping them reach the eternally peaceful Egyptian afterlife known as the Field of Reeds. To do this, she would weigh the heart of the dead individual against the feather of truth, and if it determined they lived a perfectly balanced life, their soul would pass into the Field of Reeds. If not, they'd be cast down into the duat, where they would be frozen in sand for always and eternity. Always and eternity. Now, believe it or not, this is pretty accurate to what the ancient Egyptians believed. And I'll just say, it really should be considering one of the main characters is basically an Egyptologist. But they do take some creative liberties, all of which I can get on board with. For instance, during the Egyptian Empire's early days is when Tawaret was commonly grouped with those three other hippo goddesses I mentioned. But during the Middle Kingdom of Egypt, also known as the Period of Reunification, is when she became a more prominent figure of worship. It was also around this time that Egyptians started incorporating the protective nature of hippos into their funerary process, with hippopotamus statues and idols being placed in tombs and temples, potentially to ward off evil spirits. But some scholars also suggest that hippo deities aided in the process of rebirth after death just as they aided births in the normal realm. So I think Moon Knight's to wear it being the first to welcome the freshly dead to the Chthonic realm is a clever interpretation of this theory. Her actually 
actually weighing the hearts isn't the most accurate as this position was usually filled by Anubis, but in the context of the show, I'm pretty sure Anubis had been petrified and she was filling in for him. Regardless, it wasn't unheard of for other gods to conduct this ceremony if the deceased person had a specific patron god they had dedicated their life to. Only if they were determined to be out of balance, they weren't cast into the Dune Sea and petrified. Instead, their hearts were fed to Amit, the crocopotamus who could obliterate your mind, body, and soul into a state of non-being. Amit also happens to be the big baddie in this first season of Moon Knight, so if she sounds like your type of gal, you might want to give the show a shot. Then watch my deep dive on her mythology to learn how accurate her portrayal is. But what about the myths featuring Tawaret? Such a prominent goddess has got to have some good stories, right? Kind of. I mean, don't get me wrong, the following myth is a bloody good story, but if you've been tuning into our show for a while, you've probably heard it before. The good news is I've got some brand new details to flesh the story out even more. This particular variant has been found engraved on one of the shrines in Tutankhamun's tomb and in the Book of the Heavenly Cow, which I'll do a deep dive on someday. But for now, all you need to know is that it describes the various reasons for the flawed state of the world one of which being humankind's rebellion against the supreme sun god, Ra. Put simply, this rebellion started after Ra had been sitting on the throne for a while. The Egyptians started to doubt their king because of his old age and began disregarding the laws he laid out for living a proper life. After this had been going on for a while, Ra got really irritated with mankind and worried that if he didn't do something drastic, they would divert their worship and attention elsewhere. So he summoned his daughter, Hathor, who was affiliated with motherhood similar to Tewaret, and told her to get those mere mortals back into line using any means necessary. With these orders in mind, Hathor took on her more violent aspect, the lion-headed goddess Sekhmet, and went to war with the humans, and saying this was a lopsided battle would be an understatement. She absolutely crushed the rebels with barely any effort at all. But there was a problem. After getting a taste of blood, her thirst could not be quenched, so she began slaughtering the humans indiscriminately. At this point, Ra tried stepping in and getting his daughter to simmer down a bit because he didn't want to lose all of his worshippers, but she wasn't listening to reason. After tasting that sweet, savory Kool-Aid, she wasn't going to stop unless someone made her. So that's what happened. And there's a few variants of how they achieved this, but they all share a common theme deceit. In this version, the ever-wise god Thoth, who we've also discussed on this show, suggested that because Sekhmet has a thirst for blood, they should fill some barrels with beer that's been dyed red and leave them near the next city she plans to attack. In one version, Thoth also adds a certain strain of poppies to the beer to induce hallucinations, which seems pretty risky to do with a bloodthirsty lion goddess, but I'll be honest, I'd be down for a pint or two. Regardless of the recipe, Sekhmet totally bought the bait. She was in such a crazed state of mind that she didn't even realize that the red liquid tasted more like beer than blood and chugged barrel after barrel until she passed out. When the goddess woke up, she was a different person entirely. Like, literally, she had taken on a whole new identity, the hippo goddess to wear it and she completely forgot what she was all worked up about, as well as her slaughter of mankind. Then, her new, more relaxed self was welcomed back with open arms by her father Ra, who probably should have grounded her for at least a few weeks as punishment, 
but I guess he thought the hangover was enough. Honestly, I do find it pretty funny that the docile version of her became a hippo when hippos are just as dangerous as lions, if not more so, but maybe that's why this version hasn't circulated quite as widely as the one where she turns back into the cow-headed goddess Hathor. You're just not gonna find a more docile creature than a cow. I mean, even my pug and Japanese chin can get wild, even though they look like puddles of floof and wrinkles 90% of the time. But on that note, I want to thank you all for tuning into this episode of Egyptian Mythology Explained. Now go listen to all the others if you haven't yet. But not before you sacrifice those five star and follow buttons to the algorithm gods. Those go a long way in helping this content get in front of more eyes. And who wouldn't benefit from more mythology and folklore in their life, especially when it's of the messed up variety. Besides that, I'd also recommend you follow Messed Up Origins on TikTok because the shorts that I post to YouTube also get posted there, only they're longer and uncensored. Links to those are in the description. Thank you all for watching this episode of Messed Up Origins. I'll see you again next week with the very messed up origins of Mr. Beast. Until then, my name is John Solo, and remember, John shot first. Thank you.